everyone, welcome to episode 10 of Environmentality. I have another brief lecture for you today, and I'm actually going to keep this one brief. Uh, my ultimate goal was to keep the lectures at about half the length of the interviews, and I know I've been running on tangents and getting really excited about the past two lectures that I've done. So I'm actually going to keep this one short and to the point. So uh, hopefully you enjoy this one. It's about biomagnification and why I don't eat seafood. So there are many reasons why I don't eat seafood. Obviously, there are a lot of ocean conservation issues in terms of overfishing and increased incidence of bycatch, and, and, and perhaps we can talk about those at another episode. But really, I want to talk about just the health impacts of eating sushi in terms of the integration of harmful compounds into our food systems and, and how we can avoid this in order to be healthier, but also to have a healthier planet and ocean as well. So thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the lecture. Let's get this show on the road. Welcome to Environmentality, a podcast for current environmental news, lectures, and interviews with the experts. I'm your host, Brendan Anthony. Let's dive on in. What is up, everybody? Today we're going to be talking about biomagnification and the impact it has on our food chain. This concept of biomagnification also has very vast implications on the conservation of particular species that are especially high up in the food chain. What I mean by that are, are high-level predators that sit at the top as an apex predator at the top of the food chain that consumes a lot of other animals. These animals in particular are going to be highly susceptible to the impacts of biomagnification. So first, let's just define what biomagnification is. Biomagnification is the idea that pollutants or, or chemicals or toxins increase in intensity or in concentration as they move up the food chain. So first and foremost, you have this term bioaccumulation. And it's this idea that these toxins or these pollutants can be accumulated into life into animals or plants, right? So bioaccumulation is the process in which toxins are absorbed or consumed and now integrated into an animal or a plant. As one animal then, let's say, eats that small plant that's accumulated that toxin, it's now going to be magnified. That toxin is going to be intensified in terms of its concentration as it moves up the food chain from the primary producer level, the plants, into the primary consumer level, maybe a small mammal. And so biomagnification can continue on essentially indefinitely until it ends up at humans. So more often than not, when ecologists and environmentalists talk about biomagnification, they're talking about a particular dynamic that takes place in our oceans. One of the most common pollutants that we talk about is mercury. So mercury can be released into the environment in natural ways, whether through volcanoes or through forest fires. But these are more or less pretty rare events, although we're seeing an increase of frequency, certainly in forest fires in recent years. But again, the amount of mercury that's released in these natural ways are, are quite minimal when we think about how it's released as a result of human activity. When hillsides are mined, when power plants release emissions and coal and oil and all these fossil fuels are burned, mercury is secreted into the environment. The problem with this is that mercury then is quickly converted into a toxin that's devastating for life called methylmercury. And methylmercury can start off in really, really small concentrations that's 
perhaps effectively not going to be damaging to life. And so again, this could be, uh, you know, released into the water, let's say a factory, you know, a power plant that's situated on the water releases the mercury into the water. And let's say forms of algae absorb this methyl mercury. And from here, then you have perhaps krill that come along, these smaller crustaceans, and they feed on the algae. And so now this methylmercury that's been accumulated into the algae now magnifies, let's say, 10x into the krill. And perhaps even at this point, the level mercury is not too devastating for life. But then a small fish comes along, let's say a bass, and the sea bass eats this krill. And now again, that methylmercury magnifies another 10x. So what was probably okay levels just out in the ocean has now been magnified a hundred times. And now we're starting to get into perhaps dangerous levels. But the issue is that this doesn't stop here, right? There are three other consumers along this line that a fish eats the bass and then another fish eats that fish and it increases as you go until you start to get into the species that humans really love to eat. Humans love to eat fish like salmon, like halibut, mahi-mahi, swordfish, and of course tuna. And what's such a key characteristic of all these species is that they are high-level predators in their ecosystems, meaning there are several levels of consumption taking place before you reach these higher level predators. And so what happens? That small amount of perhaps non-toxic methylmercury that started at the bottom of the food chain has intensified and increased in concentration time and time again at each and every level. And now you end up with a piece of fish that has high levels of toxic mercury. Now again, high levels are, are, are quite relative the epa states that you know anything below 10 parts per billion five parts per billion is is probably going to be okay but research suggests that there's really no level of mercury that our bodies should be having and should be consuming and the primary issue is that over time again as you continue to eat fish time and time again, you're not secreting mercury in a natural way. It just continues to be stored in our fat cells. These compounds, these pesticides, these pollutants, as they are integrated into our food chain and then integrated into our bodies, we don't lose them. They are stored in fat and we continue to hold them for life. And so this is a really huge issue because if we continue to consume these products that have low dosages of pollutants or toxins or metals, sure, in the acute sense, it may not have necessarily negative health impacts. But over the long term, you may have this kind of chronic low dosage exposure that can lead to detrimental health impacts at high levels of exposure. Mercury can harm the brain, the heart, the kidneys, lungs, and the immune system of people of all ages. And that's coming straight from the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. However, where we see the most negative consequences of the consumption and exposure of methylmercury are in high-risk groups such as children or women who are pregnant. And this is why typically small children shouldn't be eating fish and, and, and pregnant women shouldn't be eating lots of fish either because there have been studies that show that eating fish, especially at high levels on the food chain, for example, tuna, that contain higher levels of methylmercury because it's been biomagnified up the food chain, can 
infiltrate the bloodstream of the baby, of the fetus, and start to have negative developmental consequences on that baby. And there's been some evidence to support that pregnant women who consume high levels of mercury-containing fish can have a negative impact on the cognitive ability of their child. For example, autism. And the reason why is because, again, mercury so negatively impacts our nervous system. And so if you are a infant that is being developed and being exposed to even what are considered low levels of mercury over time, and again, at that stage in development, these pollutants and chemicals and toxins can have very negative consequences on your developing baby's ability to think and learn. But it's not just localized to the nine months of pregnancy, right? Because if you consider a woman who is born with all the eggs that she will have throughout her lifetime, and whatever pollutants that are consumed throughout her lifetime remains in her body, over time, these low dosages of pollutants and toxins and metals are right there radiating close to the ovaries and can negatively damage the eggs. And so even though they may not be pregnant at the time, there are still small levels of exposure that are taking place within a female body and interacting between the chemicals in their food and the eggs in her ovary. There have been review studies that are showing negative impacts of mercury on the long-term fertility of both men and women. For example, high levels of mercury can cause a decrease of sperm motility. And again, in women, mercury exposure has shown a relationship with reduced fertility in women in terms of reducing the levels and function of estrogen and can cause either premature births or spontaneous abortions, i.e. miscarriages. So there are tremendous negative human impacts as a result of being exposed to mercury. And again, one of the most common ways that humans are exposed to mercury is through the consumption of fish that are high up in our trophic systems, high up in that food chain, i.e. they are apex predators. And this is why it's so crucial that if we want to remain healthy in terms of our reproductive systems, our nervous systems, I believe that we need to be staying away from these types of fish. Meaning if we're going to consume fish, we should be eating fish that are lower on the food chain. And there are great resources online. If you go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, they have an organization called Seafood Watch. And they can give you great options on seafood and sushi that you can be eating that are healthier both for yourself and for the planet. Moreover, we need to then think about the vast ecological impacts that this is happening around the world as well, because just like in us, these harmful toxins, these harmful pesticides, these harmful metals that are being secreted into our environment through human activities are having negative impacts on plant life and animals as well. When we think about endangered species such as like bald eagles and, and sea otters and florida panthers right all these incredible animals that are like the pride of the, the united states are showing up with high levels of mercury as well and causing premature death as well as 
reduce reproduction and slower growth and development, right? These are not characteristics we want to be having in our endangered species that conservationists are trying to help reproduce and build bigger populations, right? It's it's very inhibitory. It's very antagonistic that the animals that we are trying to save and protect and breed more of are being exposed to high levels of mercury and is directly inhibiting the growth and health of these species. And so we need to get back to the root cause of this issue. We know how these compounds are interacting in a very dynamic food chain. And so if we understand biomagnification, there's really nothing to be done in terms of biomagnification if we want to save these magnificent endangered species that sit at the top of the trophic pyramid. If we really want to help save these species that are being irradiated with these high levels of toxins, we need to address bioaccumulation. And we certainly have a very vested interest in making this happen, right? We are also being heavily affected by this because we consume some of these high-level predatory species, especially when we think about in our ocean ecosystems. And so if we really want to address this issue, it's not so much about addressing biomagnification. It's about addressing bioaccumulation and not letting these compounds enter the environment in high levels in the first place. And of course, we can't stop volcanoes and and we're learning new and more science to better stave off forest fires. But when we think about where the majority of these compounds are coming from, it's from the burning of fossil fuels. And I know I must sound like such a broken record on this podcast because everything keeps coming back down to the issue of fossil fuels. Burning fossil fuels secretes a lot of these harmful compounds that are brought into our environment. And then as they get transported or, or drilled around the oceans, they, they run into coral reefs. We have spills. We have leaks. We have all these issues that are surrounding our insatiable appetite for the consumption of fossil fuels. We have to understand if we want to live in a different world, we need to start moving away from this dirty energy source. And I understand that the alternatives may be perhaps less efficient at this present time. And and things like nuclear may be a bit off or have other unintended environmental consequences. I understand. But the data and the facts are in. Fossil fuels cannot be the future. And if we spent as much time and as much energy into our research and acquisition and development and propagation of fossil fuels as we did on wind or solar or hydroelectric or geothermal or on nuclear, I think we would be much further along in this process. And we would be living in a much cleaner, greener, world where our fish are not poisoned and our national bird bald eagles are not showing up with high levels of mercury and causing early death. So let me try and land this plane here. Ultimately, what is biomagnification? It's the process in which toxins, pesticides, metals, whatever it may be, intensifies and increases in concentration as it moves up the trophic pyramid as it goes up higher and higher into the food chain. What is bioaccumulation? It is the integration of these compounds into life, such as plants and animals. And so again, if we want to effectively help this issue, we need to 
prevent these compounds from ever entering the environment in the first place. And so we understand the negative impacts of biomagnification. So we need to not allow that to happen in the first place. And that happens by addressing bioaccumulation and preventing these compounds from ever entering the environment. And that begins by changing our daily actions, by trying to drive less, bike more, reduce your energy consumption and fossil fuel usage. But it also happens with voting. And voting is a huge way because, again, I believe the future of our planet is at stake come November 3rd. And we need to vote for the type of world that we want to live in. Do we want to live in a world that's polluted? Do we want to live in a world where our food is not safe to eat because it's being propped up on antibiotics and high-density animal agriculture systems and, and being heavily polluted and run off into our oceans? Or do we want to start to rethink things? Do we want to start living in a way that's in harmony with nature. Because I believe that when we start to live in symbiosis with the ecological system around us, there will be numerous, numerous benefits. And so I challenge you, this week, as you go about your week, think about ways you can reduce your fossil fuel usage. Think about ways you can eat less fish. Protect both your planet and yourself and your future generations. And this is ultimately why I don't eat sushi. This is why I don't eat anything from the ocean. Because one, it's heavily polluted and we're starting to see traces of plastics and everything. And we could talk about this in another episode. But I stay away from this stuff because these contents are so heavily magnified, especially in our ocean ecosystems. So I don't eat seafood for this reason. And I would suggest that you start to think outside of the box in terms of your seafood consumption as well, not just for the sake of the planet, but for your health as well. And I know some health experts might kind of argue with this and say, no, eating fish is really healthy for you because it has high levels of omega-3 fatty acids. But what did we learn last week? The origin of omega-3s, much like many great things in this world, stem from plants. And so again, if you want to get your omega-3s, you don't need to eat fish to get omega-3s. Eat plants. In particular, you can eat things like chia seeds, hemp seeds, Brussels sprouts, walnuts. All of these are great sources of omega-3s that stem from plants. Okay, I'm done. That's it. I'm actually going to keep this lecture brief like I promised. And hopefully you enjoyed it and you learned something. Feel free to again share this with your friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. I so, so, so appreciate the support. I have been loving doing this. It's been a lot of fun. Seeing you share it on Instagram, whatever it may be, is really encouraging. So again, thank you so much. And we'll see you here next week. Have a great weekend.